Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Football Social Daily. Premier League updates. Aston Villa were looking for back-to-back home wins in the Premier League last night for the first time since 2015 as West Ham were the visitors themselves looking to improve on a paltry two wins in 18 league visits to Villa Park. And it wasn't the greatest advert for Monday Night Football, it has to be said. Nil-nil it finished. The most entertaining part of the game was an on-field clash between two teammates, Tyrone Mings and Anwar El Ghazi, coming the closest to friendly fire we've seen since Lee Bowyer. And Kieran Dyer tried to knock seven bells of each other out of each other for Newcastle all those years ago. We'll be taking a look at that on today's show, as well as what it means for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Manchester United. Now they've tied down David De Gea to a new long-term deal. He'll be staying at Old Trafford until 2023. Perhaps United might actually finish better than sixth by that time. And the Champions League is back this evening. The first group stage games taking place with Liverpool travelling to Naples and Chelsea hosting Valencia. Blues boss Frank Lampard with the genius thought process of seeing the competition in two parts. The group stage and the knockout phase. Nice one, Frank. This is Football Social Daily, the only daily Premier League podcast you can find. And hopefully we have some better insight in the studio today than what Frank could come up with in his press conference. Accompanying me in the studio, we've got Jim Salverson. Hello, Jim. Hey, you know. And we've got Marley Anderson. Hello, Marley. I wouldn't be so sure about the uh, the insight level there. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I'm feeling insightful is it, today. Is, oh, it, yeah. is it more likely going to be Dyer versus Boya? Uh, in terms of insight, it'll be as entertaining as Mings and El Gazio's last night. <laughs> Absolutely shit fight, wasn't it? Oh, stupid. Real I'm Niall McCorn. Welcome along to the show. We're going to kick things off with Aston Villa uh, versus West Ham last night. Uh, after a goal fest over the weekend, no less than 32 goals scored in the other Premier League games, we had a goalless draw at Villa Park. Jim, you're a West Ham fan. Disappointed with nil-nil? You did end the game with 10 men, in all fairness. It was always going to be a nil-nil, because I was listening to Five Live doing the match preview, and Chris Sutton came on and he went, the one thing we've learned from this weekend is this game will be full of goals. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, right, that's it. It's got nil-nil all over it. Do you know what? It was... I mean, I, I didn't watch the game live. I listened on the radio. I've seen the highlights this morning, and... It wasn't the greatest game of football. It was one of those dirgy Monday night games that seemed to happen quite a lot. But at the same time, in terms of a result, 
I would have taken nil nil. I would have taken a point from Villa Park. They're a bit of a bogey team for West Ham. I think it's we've won two in eighteen or yeah. something along those lines. So a point, yeah, that's not bad at all. I take that. It's a difficult place to go. Last home game for Villa, they proved they can play well at home. It's just on the road. They're having a few difficulties at the moment. So not to be sniffed at in terms of the result, in terms of the game. It's just one to forget, isn't it? Yeah, it wasn't the most entertaining game in terms of chances. There were a couple of chances. Wesley had a good header early on, which he put over, which he yeah. probably should have scored. And then Jack Grealish had a chance to volley in at the far post later Eaton on in the game. I think had it at some point. Yeah, I and think there was there were some chance- great were- last-ditch defending yeah. from Aston Villa, like... Grealish put his body on the line at one point, throwing mm. himself in front of Anderson, I think it was, and then Tyrone his Ming- shin pads as a guy. Yeah, and Tyrone Mings was kind of hurling himself about as well, so they were putting it in. Well, fresh from an England call-up, Tyrone Mings obviously didn't get a game uh, for Gareth Southgate's three lines, but he did certainly show these leadership qualities that Aston Villa fans have been talking about, so much so that he decided he was going to go square up to one of his teammates, El Hazi. <laughs> um, that's something you don't see too often in the modern game. I quite enjoyed it. My only quip if I was a Villa fan would be, oh no, Mike Dean's the referee. Yeah. Any excuse for him to get the red card out and he'd be on it. But um, like you say, Marley, it was a pretty tame fight, but a bit of passion there. It's like what you like to see, really. Yeah, I think I heard about it first. I was out um, I was out last night and I didn't watch it live and I'm glad I was, glad I didn't buy it by <laughs> all accounts, to be honest. Um, but I seen the replay and I thought, like, Mings, I, I expected it to be Mings who was the the sort of... Aggressor. The one who, who threw the inverted commas headbutt yeah you know um, I think we need to have a look at what football calls a headbutt for a start because it wasn't a headbutt but um, when I when I seen it you know Mings is having to go at El Ghazi I'm not sure quite what it was for or or what what triggered it whether it was you know something more than just the the incident that happened but it was El Ghazi that that threw his head towards Mm. him Mm. and it was like he's six foot five mate there's better guys to be headbutting than you Bloody centre back. He's absolutely. He's a tank. Yeah, I think Mings was disappointed with Olgarzi's tracking. I think he thought he'd lost his man into the run up, and I think it resulted in the corner. But then, well, Mings had a bit of a go at him. Exactly. Olgarzi took offence, and they kind of squared off. But I think it's I, brilliant. I, I think I, it's exactly what you want to see. You want to see defenders yeah. that care about what's <laughs> happening on the pitch. And it. Yeah. You're right. There's a line there, and you have to be cautious of the line as to what might potentially get you sent off. But it wasn't, as you said in the top of the podcast, it wasn't. Diaboya. It was <laughs> no. it was a little bit of nothing. Algarzi was stupid to push his head in Mings's face because yeah. we have seen that result in red cards in mm. the past and it could have easily been a red card. Yeah. But yeah, have a little push. Square up against each other. Bollock each other if you think you're doing a shit job. I want to see that. I think it's yeah. perfect. There's nothing worse than seeing players smirking when something goes wrong on the pitch. So yeah, let's have a bit of passion. Yeah, and to be fair, you refer to that fight between those two Newcastle players all those years ago, I don't think that will ever be beaten. <laughs> that is the best fight in a football game, in English football, I think I've ever seen between two players. We hear about it happening on the training ground as well. Oh, all the you? time, but never in yeah. a game. Yeah, Happens a lot on the training ground. We don't hear about half the stuff that does happen on no. the training ground. Um, but, you know, yeah, as a Newcastle fan, obviously I remember the Boya Dyer thing as clear as day. I was like, oh, for God's sake, like, why? Why us? What happened after that? Did they both stay at the club? Yeah, they had a they had a little you know forced handshake and they got the, fined for the papers yeah. and stuff. They both got a fine. Obviously, they both got sent off. I think on that day. So I think you ended the game with eight men that day. I think you had someone else sent <laughs> yeah. off as well. And funnily enough, it was against Aston Villa. So oh, right. <laughs> the guy who split them up was flipping Gareth Barry. Oh yeah, I think wow. I've seen he the was photo. the first one over to it, and then Shearer got to the pair of them and just bollocked the pair of them. So 
it was just one of them. It was just like, oh, for God's sake. But yeah, that's, that's when it goes too far and you get two absolute pricks just swinging for each other. That's like not what you want, is uh, those two fighting and then Big Al coming over. It's yeah. like, come on then. <laughs> but going, going back to what Jim said, you, 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 do, need, you do need people who are going to call others out on the bullshit sort of thing. Mm. Um, if they're not pulling the weight, you need someone to tell them. And usually it's a big, big tough centre-back. Yeah. Like Newcastle, I mentioned on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, we had... Jamal Lascelles having to go at people in training and it just sent their performance levels through the roof. Yeah. Like Modiame turned into a, a, a sort of B Tech yeah. Yaya Toure. <laughs> and considering he was more of a B Tech bloody Eric Jemba Jemba before that, <laughs> it was a kind of uh, it was a blessing for us really. But you do have to be slightly cautious that if it had resulted in a sending off for one or both, yeah, you've got no we'd be talking about it in a very different way today. <laughs> yeah. It would be a completely different scenario. Well, we'll talk yeah. about West Ham's sending off in a second. Obviously, Masuaku saw red, which I thought was slightly harsh. Oh, Two yellows, good. which means VAR can't get involved. It can't be overturned. He's going to be banned for a game. We'll talk about that in a second. But in terms of two players going head-to-head, Mings and, and El Ghazi, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago about Aston Villa getting a lot of new signings in. Is it going to take time for Dean Smith to get them to settle down? Now, actually, interestingly, these two players are players that were at the club last season, mm. at least for a spell anyway. So is this showing signs of perhaps, you know, the bedding in hasn't quite happened yet? Or is, is this just a sign of determination from Mings that he wants to be the superstar at Aston Villa? He wants to be that leader, that that captain that, that takes them forward, even though obviously he's not wearing the armband right now. I think right more now. of a sign the relationship has developed than hasn't. Right. Because I don't, th- I mean, you can't put the social etiquette into football because it doesn't exist but you know what I mean it's like Mm. you're more likely to have a go at someone on the pitch who you have a relationship with and you feel comfortable calling out than you are with a new relationship where you're not quite sure how a player is going to react or what kind of criticism they can take so I think it probably shows that that is a more settled relationship potentially I don't know it's an interesting way of looking at it, but um, <laughs> but you're wrong. <laughs> no, no, I don't, I don't it, necessarily like, disagree with it. You're more likely to have a go at someone on the pitch who you've got a relationship with, aren't you? You're more likely yeah, to call you, them out when you know what they're capable yeah, of. Yeah, but not the you know sixteen stone geezer who's absolutely then, massive. You're not going to start on him, are you? But when you when you're, someone's not performing to the level you know they can do, that's when that kind of that's when you feel frustrated as a fan watching a player. Yeah, you don't yeah. feel frustrated necessarily with your like. I take Mark Noble as a good example from last night's game. I like Mark Noble a lot as West Ham captain, but he isn't always the most creative of players. And there were a few times last night where it looked like he could have played the ball forward and moved the attack on and he took the safe option. He played back to Declan Rice or basically took an an easier option. I'm not frustrated with him because he isn't that kind of creative player as I would be if Jack Wilshire Mm. was doing that same thing, Mm. a player who you know has ability but rarely shows it. So I wonder if players feel the same, that if they feel their teammates aren't reaching the potential... That they know they've got. Yeah, exactly. That's when they get annoyed and that's when you get these kind of flashes of anger rather than Mm. having a go at them because they're just not very good. Yeah, you talk about Mark Noble there. There was an incident in the game where Mark Noble was already on a yellow card he then went down in the box. There appeared to be, I don't even know what contact is anymore. There's so <laughs> many different like variations when people say, oh, that's not a dive or that is a dive. Well, on the radio, like you say, they were saying, Mark Noble, if he's not been fouled in the box and Mike Dean, the referee, doesn't think it's a penalty, then surely he should be booked for diving and therefore second mm-hmm. yellow equals red and he's off. So what do you guys think about this whole, if it's not a yellow card for diving, then it must be a penalty? Is it one or the other? Can it be one or the other? Or is there such a thing as being touched in the box, going 
going down and it not being a penalty, but also not being a dive. Yeah, it's not. It's not black and white. You can't. It, it can't be either a penalty or a dive. That's that's just crap. You can get contact and it not be enough to be a penalty, and you can get sort of blocked off or like Harry Kane the other week. You know when he put put himself between the ball got and the man. He got contact, but he didn't dive. He got contact and he went down. And the referee said, "Right, it's not enough for a penalty." I, d- I think you've insinuated the contact. Mm. It's not a dive because diving is diving evading a challenge and making it look like a, fa- uh, a yeah. foul. but I mm. think potentially the pace of the game, it is very difficult for a referee to make those decisions on the pitch, particularly those fine margins yeah. where it might not be a penalty and it uh, might not be a dive and then uh, it's harsh to punish someone for diving in that scenario. I mean, there's no question Mark Noble didn't dive because he's an Englishman. We all know that's something and his that only those foreigners yeah, do. Exactly. But, um, but, but you, I think... I think Diving is still an issue in the game, yeah, of course and we need to work out what the solution is. And I don't know what the solution is, but it would appear that retrospective bans are potentially when you can look at something and you have a. It's been talked about before. You have a panel of ex players who yeah. look at it and go, right, there's five of us, three of us are voting that mm-hmm. that is a dive and deserves some kind of retrospective ban. The issue is, as Marley says, it's still not a black and white issue. It's yeah. still something that relies on opinion. And there is an interpretation issue there. I think so the how words, can you ban someone for that? I think the words that were used were Noble's trying to con the referee, which mm. means therefore it's simulation, you know, trying to force the referee to make a decision, therefore he deserves a yellow card, blah, blah, blah. That was what was said. And I guess there's an argument that could be had with this. Is it as bad as tactical fouling? You know, you, you get in contact and going down in the box, trying to win a penalty. That's as much of trying to get a decision out of the referee as, as fouling someone to force a decision out of the referee to stop a break. Is, I guess it's the impact they as on bad the game as each you other? have to consider, isn't it? And the impact on the game in terms of giving away a penalty where not only can you score a goal from that opportunity but also it could result in a card for the opposition player who's given away the penalty is much more impactful mm-hmm. than a tactical foul where you're breaking up sure. some kind of stage in play. So, No is the answer to the question. It's not as bad. It goes back to what Sean Dyche said a couple of weeks ago. People that dive should be sent off because it gives them two chances to cheat in a game. Dive yeah. twice, sent off. Yeah. <laughs> Good old Sean. He's always got something interesting to say. This is Football Social Daily. After the break, we'll be talking about Manchester United's goalkeeper, David De Gea. He's signed a new long-term contract, which keeps him at Old Trafford till 2023. And also the Champions League is back. Liverpool and Chelsea have games against Napoli and Valencia, respectively. We'll be going across that as well, so don't go anywhere. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Premier League updates. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. I'm Niall. Alongside me in the studio, we've got Marley and we've got Jim. And we've got to talk about David De Gea signing a new contract at Manchester United. What does this mean for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? There's been murmurs, Marley, about him leaving over the last two, three, probably even four seasons now. Mm. Real Madrid uh, have been talked about time and time again. Real Madrid a couple of seasons ago wanted him, didn't get him. Um, David and a De Gea. Fax machine. Uh, yeah, exactly. Was, that, was yeah. 2015 the fax machine thing happened, wasn't it? Where the transfer supposedly yeah. broke down because Real Madrid's fax machine was turned off or ran out of paper or yeah. something along those lines. Fax machine in 2015. Yeah. Even that thing seems far-fetched. I don't even know what a fax machine does. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen one in the flesh. I just thought, what the f*** is that? <laughs> um, but David De Gea signs a new long-term deal at Manchester United. Good news for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He needs to maintain the players that are going to be important to him moving forward. Yeah, he does. Um, um, it's it's good news for for everyone, I suppose, uh, unless you're uh, Dean Henderson. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, because you know, 
Is, was Dean Henderson ever going to be the first choice keeper? Of- You'll never know now. You'll never know because it's a new four-year deal, isn't it? Till twenty twenty-three yeah. with, with an option of another a year extension, another year. Yeah. So, mm. but Romaro could know. leave. So I mean, Dean Henderson could step into that number two spot potentially. Why would it? Yeah, but he doesn't want to do that. Wow, that's pointless. There's no progression for him as number two. He's getting Henson. he's getting yeah. first team football. His at first Sheffield team United. Sheffield United in the Premier League. Yeah, if I was like, I'd, I'm not saying for any like stretch of the imagination that Dean Henderson should be given a number one chance. I just think that if you're going to look at the long term effect, one of the effects that one of the side effects of De Gea signing a new contract is you, your young promising goalkeepers are blocked off. I mean, this is the whole different discussion, isn't it, where we talk about players like Henderson, players like Phil Foden, for example, at Manchester City, where you have to make a choice as to do you want to be at one of those big Calling Manchester United a big club still. Yeah, I think it's still a big club. One of the, I wouldn't say top six, but I wouldn't say big. Um, yeah, one of those clubs where the, the club has a status and your options to play in the first team are going to be limited or do you want to take advantage? Do you want to get your game time up and be at a Sheffield United? Or I mean, there's a lot of talk about Phil Foden potentially needing to move away from City now, like mm. Jaden Sancho did to the, develop his himself as a Different player. position. It's a whole different discussion. Yeah. yeah. But I take your point, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, um... As well, like, you know, De Gea has been at United for like eight years now and I think his time to go to Real Madrid is, is gone. It's over been, 350 it's been, it's been appearances gone. for the club for Man United. So, yeah, yeah he's, he's over £350,000 a week as well if you yeah. read the... Uh, well, this what, is my thing about Real Madrid was that are they still interested? Because when that interest first arrived, 2015, 2016, he was one of the best keepers in the world. Last season for United, he made a lot of mistakes... And I don't think he was one of the better goalkeepers in the mm. world. So maybe real it's more to do with Real Madrid's interest cooling than it is Manchester United getting their man for the next four years. Do you know what? You could say, and this isn't going to make any sense because the best teams in the world have world-class goalkeepers. Simple as that. You look at Liverpool and Manchester City, I've both got top Brazilian goalkeepers um, for years, Juventus had Gigi Buffon, who's a brilliant goalkeeper, uh, Ika Casillas for Real Madrid. But if you look now at a side like Juventus, they've got Wojciech Chesney in goal. Mm. Now, don't get me wrong, he's a good keeper, reliable, but he's not world class. Mm. Do teams like Real Madrid, because of the, the competition they face in the league, really need a top, top quality goalkeeper? Can they get away with your sort of mid to good level keeper like your Chesney? Do Real Madrid really need David De Gea because although they're not as strong as they were a couple of seasons ago obviously since Ronaldo left we all know that it's taken sort of a bit of a downturn but you look at Manchester United the amount of saves he made against Leicester at the weekend I mean it was like the David De Gea of old I kind of get what you're saying but you also have to look at it I mean there are is competition for the league and even if it's just coming down to Barcelona versus Real Madrid every single season they still need the edge over Barcelona to win the league but then you've also got considerations like Champions League for example, but I would where 100% you do need but I would argue, strong players all over the pitch. I would argue only now have Barcelona got top-class goalkeepers. Like, to Stegen's a brilliant keeper. I wouldn't have said Victor Valdez was an excellent goalkeeper a couple of years ago. I can't even think who else they've had in goal, Barcelona. Yeah. And they've still been sort of dominant in Europe over the mm. last 15 years. Yeah, so, Valdez I mean, was in goal for probably 10 or 12 years. So That's, that's why he's going back to, like, the 90s mm. before that. Mm. So, I mean, this that's, that's I suppose, a, a point. The wages are going to be high. I think now Sanchez is being part-funded by Inter and Manchester United. That makes him the highest-paid player, technically, at United now. Yeah, um, and he, to be fair, if you look at the squad, he probably should be the highest-paid pay, mm. player because he's he's probably he's the best one. Him and him and Pogba are the two most talented players in the squad. Um, 
I think the sort of money issue was came down to Sanchez leaving. Um, mm. I think they needed Sanchez to leave to give him that give him that deal. You know, it was only two weeks ago he left, and then Ed's got his spreadsheets and Microsoft Excel <laughs> out and thought, oh, we got another hundred grand AI, David. Do you want that? And he said, yeah, fine, great. Um, and it means as well that United don't have to go out and buy another goalkeeper because mm. even yeah. if they went out and bought another goalkeeper, for example, if they wanted to another world-class goalie and they didn't want to promote Romero or Henderson or whoever, they would have to spend this type of wage on another goalkeeper, say Jan or Black or mm. Kilo Navas before he went to PSG, for example, and then they would need a 50, 60 million transfer fee on top of it. So they've saved money, really. Well, that's mm. it. It's actually financially... It's, a, it's on. by far the better option than going out. Well, and that's like someone. why that's why why Chelsea sold David Luiz to Arsenal, and you see like eight million. That's mm. so cheap. But he had just signed a new contract at Chelsea for two years on more money. And actually, if you work it out, the length of the contract would have cost Chelsea more rather than just selling him mm. for the cheap. And then, you know, the wages then get moved on to Arsenal's books. And it's kind of it's football business. Yeah, I mean, Jan Oblak, as you say, three hundred and fifty grand a week he's on already. Which is yep. the same as De Gea now, but then that mm. is and he's younger than De Gea over four seasons. That's yeah. hundred million quid. Yeah, he's going to cost you, I think, fifty million. Is probably lowballing it a little yeah, bit. He, probably considerably more than that. 90, yeah. So actually, they're saving a little bit of money by keeping De Gea at the club. But it just shows what an absolute mess Manchester United have made of their wage structure. That they're needing to give three hundred and fifty thousand pounds to De Gea to mm. get parity or get somewhere near what Sanchez was earning and it will knock on. We've got players like Martial who's going to want a wage increase when his contract reaches the end. Pogba is certainly going to want more money and the more superstars they get in, the more they're going to want parity with the top earners. Mm. It's a bit of a mess at the moment. But um, they've made a rod for their own backs and it's all because of Sanchez. Contract, <laughs> yeah, contract till 2023, Jim. That's obviously four years away and I know it's hard to look into the future in football but... David De Gea said when he signed his new deal, he wants to get Manchester United back in the winner's enclosure, so to speak, getting them back, winning trophies, winning silverware, which obviously we've all become accustomed to with Manchester United over the last 25 or so years. Can you see that happening? Me? No, I can't see it happening. I think it'll take longer than four years before Manchester United are title contenders again. I think it's about the right timescale, actually, four years. I think it will be about four years before Manchester United finish their rebuilding and get their shit together enough to challenge for certainly the Premier League, maybe multiple trophies or whatever it is. Well, I mean, that, I like what's happening at the moment. I think they're going about it the right way. Whether Solskjaer is the right man for the job is a completely different question mm. and one I'm not 100% convinced of. But the tactic, the kind of young, English, talented players does seem to be a good blueprint for the future. Yeah, well... But it's going to take a while. Like say, and 20, it's going to take money. Yeah, money and, money and time. 2023 would be 10 years though, Marley, since they last... Won the Premier League, so yeah. I mean that decade. It's a long time. It's a not. I wouldn't say it was a barren decade for United because they've won FA Cups and Europa Leagues and stuff. But that, yeah. competing for the leagues, what they want, isn't it? Yeah, um, I, I read yesterday as well that um, De Gea seeked assurances that United were going to be challenging, and it's like, how can you seek assurances from a <laughs> yeah, from a yeah, from a spreadsheet yeah. bloke who you know <laughs> just hands out the wages? He doesn't know. Like he's obviously any chairman's going to say. Yeah, we're going to be competing in four years. By the time you know you're in, when you're locked into this contract, we're going to be competing. Mm. I'd I guess say that to... if I was trying to attract players yeah. in Newcastle, I guess but you... I know it's bullshit. They must yeah. be committing to a certain element of spending. I guess what that's what that means. Maybe, potentially. 
But look how look how much the market changes but, in but, the last in but, you know six every 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 six months. It's crazy diversion. But it was a really interesting article written by Marley on the Sports Social <laughs> website, Sports Hyphen Social, where he talked about Jaden Sancho potentially mm. being interested in Manchester United and the age of players being attracted to the club, mm. which I thought was a really interesting point that I'd not considered for that the younger players have no memory of Manchester United being this great club, mm. of being this beast that could once again rise up. Whereas the slightly older players, so players like Harry Maguire, who apparently chose Manchester United over Manchester City, they remember Manchester United as this iconic club. And yeah. the further we get away from that, the more that's going to fade and the more difficult it is going to be for Manchester United to attract these players without paying big amounts Huge of money. money yeah. Yeah, and that was that's kind of the the thing. Like Harry Harry Maguire is a similar age to me, and me growing up, I grew up in Cumbria where we haven't got a, a local electricity. Yeah. <laughs> Carlisle United, yeah, it's the local club. We haven't got a local Premier League club, so it was kind of like a free for all of like who who you support kind of thing. I I followed my dad and supported Newcastle, um, where the family's from, but everyone who had like a like a casual interest in football they're all Man United fans mm. and that was because they were winning and they it's were the best like, yeah, in I grew up in Surrey and it was the same exactly. <laughs> some people my parents age they're all Leeds fans because back in the 70s Leeds were the mm. they were the team to Down follow United. yeah but then you look now five, let, let's look at a five, six, seven year old kid they don't remember Man United they remember Man City yeah. because they remember the new you know the new era the, the yeah. billionaire shake pep era Growing up watching good football, they just see it as City winning, City the best. So in years and years to come, if Man United don't get back to that level, they're going to struggle to get uh, players to to sign for them on that prestige because nobody really remembers it and, and the history as well. Do you know what? I feel a big call coming on, Jim. Go on. The big call. Big call. Okay. <laughs> what was that? What's, what's the, the big call then? the big call. Um, I don't think Manchester United's win over PSG in the Champions League last season was all that. Oh, I don't think that's even a big call. I think that's really? a, a medium-sized call. I think it actually did them a lot of damage because that's what sent the wheels in motion. If that that's the highlight of Manchester United's season, scraping past the European side who have never done anything in the Champions League, get through your group stage, knocked out. It was the manner, not, of, then, it was the manner of the win that made it exciting. Yeah, I think. Well, Rashford yeah. scored a penalty late. Yeah, okay, get that exciting they were behind they come back to win against the odds whatever whatever but what I'm saying is it wasn't that good no I think I'd agree with that and I'd also say that if Manchester United hadn't won that game against PSG they'd currently have Mauricio Pochettino as their manager (laughs) and it would be a completely different game and and also like I say PSG not particularly good in Europe I don't think I don't think it's ever going to happen for them and speaking of PSG they were in Liverpool's group last year in the Champions League the Champions League is back tonight Liverpool (laughs) against Napoli seamless link (laughs) also that we're just shouting over (laughs) also also in Liverpool's group last season was Napoli both sides finished on nine points Liverpool went through to the next round on goals scored because the head-to-head record was the same they Mm. faced Napoli again tonight in Naples last season uh, they lost 1-0 away from home in Naples a 90th minute goal from Insignia was the difference uh, Jurgen Klopp said about the Champions League this season that he's going to be shocked if Liverpool reach the final again the league is their priority but Naples isn't an easy place to go they finished I think second in Serie A for three of the last four seasons Marley so they're, they're yeah. a good side yeah, Naples isn't an easy place to go if you're a tourist as well. Everyone <laughs> tries to rob your bags. Sorry if you're from Naples and listening to this podcast. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not it's not a nice place. And it's not a nice place to go and play football. It's a very intimidating place. Yeah. Um, 
No, and the dressing rooms aren't finished as well. In yeah, the, the shadow of Mount finished. Vesuvius. Yeah. Yes. So there's this cool story at Naples at the moment. Is So Napoli have had to spend their last two home games playing at a different stadium because they spent a load of money renovating the dressing rooms and they're still not finished. Yeah. And Carlo Ancelotti and the team have been basically calling out the builders. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like they've got rubbish builders in. Yeah. And they're kind of like, come and finish it, come and finish it. So that could be the most intimidating part is that Liverpool get changed in the Naples car park and get their wallets. <laughs> well, cer- like certainly Italian stadiums aren't particularly um, well thought of in terms of oh, their structural mm, integrity. No. The yeah. San Siro is falling, falling down, falling apart, which is why obviously they're building a new ground. Uh, but Napoli have got some really good players, Marley, haven't they? I mean, you look at their yeah. squad and they've got some talent there. Yeah, they've got some some serious players. Um, Fabian, the midfielder, is absolutely top. He was fantastic last season. And Napoli, we, we forget how close Liverpool were to going out last season. Yeah. When when in that last game week they needed to come to, they needed to bring um, Napoli to Anfield and either win one nil or win by two goals, and they won by one. They won one nil, and they were hanging on at the end. Mm. And Allison made that. Fantastic save from I think it was from Mertens. Yeah, and from close range, smothered, smothered mm. the shot. Yeah, and that that sent them through, and they never looked back from there. Because in knockout comp- in knockout format, they're they're much better than than uh, over the sort of course of a, a league, or they were last season anyway. But um, it'll be a tough game, tough place to go. Yeah, um, Mertens, Fabian, you know, Koulibaly at the back. You know, they've they've got players that can hurt Liverpool and. Uh, It'll be a test for them. Early, nice early test. See, see where you stand in the group. Yeah, the big advantage that Liverpool have is that Mane and Salah didn't play in the international break. Yes. So whereas yeah. a lot of players were and they back both looked very sharp at the yeah. weekend. Yeah, and Firmino, um, Firmino obviously had his trips all over the world, flying back from Brazil or wherever it was. They were playing their games and was rested periodically at yes. the weekend to the Rigi's injury. Yeah. But they've got a front three that haven't played as much football as maybe you might expect from most other Premier League teams going into this competition, yep. which will be an advantage for them. I think mm. they'll have enough, but Napoli are no mugs, as you no. say. They can defend well, they can a- attack well on the counter, particularly, and they could be a challenge for Liverpool. But I don't buy Jurgen Klopp saying they're out of it. <laughs> I mean, it's, just, it's just him playing down the chances isn't well, I, don't, I don't think they were too asked about the Champions League until they got through and they started winning the last 16 they won the quarterfinal and then I think that Jurgen Klopp was like well oh, hang on a sec you might be in with a sniff here um, but if you're a Liverpool fan listening to this and uh, you want to know a little bit more about the Napoli players keep an eye on Herving Lozano who's been a highly rated player uh, throughout Europe over the last couple of years. So watch out for him. He looks like he, he could be a good player for them. Uh, no Divock Origi for Liverpool. He's out with an ankle injury. So Rian Brewster comes in to the Liverpool squad. Um, we don't know whether Andy Robertson will start or not. He uh, has supposedly travelled with the squad and passed a fitness test, but we don't know. What about Chelsea then? A return to Champions League football for Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Frank Lampard's first game as a manager in mm. European football. Won the Champions League with Chelsea in 2012, Jim. They've got Valencia to contend with. Is this going to be a... Not a baptism of fire for Lampard, but certainly it's not going to be easy against a, a decent bother. Spanish team. If I was Le- if I was Chelsea and Lampard, I wouldn't bother with the Champions League this season. And I think partly him making that ridiculous comment about the Champions League <laughs> being in two stages, <laughs> group stages and knockout stages, <laughs> was him kind of vocalising that a little bit. Him kind of like, well, if we get through the group stages, then we'll worry about the latter stages rather than having ambitions to focus on the end of the competition. He might not have deliberately wanted to say that out loud, but I kind of think that's what the thought process he was going through. Chelsea have a a pretty thin squad at the moment compared to most top Premier League teams. He wants to play 
the youngsters and he wants to keep faith in them. And so I can't see him necessarily rotating too much. But I think it could just be a bit of a stretch for them this season in a competition that realistically they haven't got the legs to go that far in. He says completely ensuring they'll win the bloody thing. <laughs> but I, I just I think from a Chelsea point of view, I'm not sure I'd be that bothered about Champions League this season. I'd focus on I'd focus on the league, cliche bell. Yeah, I think, you know, if, if you go into the Champions League thinking we're gonna give this all we've got by Christmas time you could be completely knackered in the league. Yeah. That's that's the thing, like, you know, all you've got to show for it if you if you do prioritise it is you've come you've come through a group stage that you could get you should get through anywhere. You know, Chelsea and Valencia uh, who else is in Chelsea's group? Uh, they've got Ajax and also Lille's. Chelsea have never played against Ajax before in European competition. I mean, it, it's not an easy group, that. No. Ajax, mm. obviously, were amazing last season. Valencia are, are never... They're never amazing, but they're never rollover. They'll always give you a game. Yeah. Uh, Lille, have, Lille came second in, in France last year. Um, they've signed a... They've got a fellow up front called Victor Ozymen, who's scored... I think he's got four in his first four in, in France. He's top top player. Uh, just signed from a Belgian side. I can't remember which one now. Uh, Oost End or something like that. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it's tough like to to do Saturday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday, whatever it is. It's tough to to balance that when you've got a quite a thin squad and a, and a young squad as well. But it'll be great experience for them to sort of get used to those like Tammy Abraham playing twice a week. Mm. Mm. You know, Hudson Adoy is closing closing in on a comeback now. He'll he'll be getting the, the sort of games that he needs to, to sort of prove where he is in terms of his fitness and his squad and stuff. So it could be like a blessing. It could be it could be trouble for them. But the last thing well. they want to do as well is pick up injuries to the players that have been key players for them this season. So obviously Tammy Abrahams, he's scored a load of goals and you could question who he scored those goals against and whether he'll be able to do it when he gets to goals the, are goals. The, the better and yep. the better opposition. But he's been instrumental... Mason Mount's been brilliant for him this mm-hmm. season. Yeah, I mean, they've just got Rudiger back from injury and he hobbled off at the weekend, didn't he? So he could be out, he could be fit again. But they don't want to risk another injury for him because they look dodgy at the back, at the yeah. back mm-hmm. without Rudiger playing. So I kind of... I'd be focusing on keeping my players. But it's fit a free and not swing this players. season, as you say. No, why bother with the Champions League? But it's a free swing for Lampard. It's almost like a, a you know free chance, a free hit at the Champions League. But they need so much luck to do anything. But that's what it. happened when they won it in 2012. The squad that they won the final with, or the, the starting eleven. I think Bertrand started at right back. I think Raúl Morelos was mm. playing in midfield. I just think they had all good players or injured or suspended. I think. I mean, think. I think it's a winnable game tonight for Chelsea. Valencia lost five two at the weekend. Chelsea. One five two, and they're not that great, Valencia. They're defensively fragile at times. Even if it's Barcelona scoring past five past year, it's still five goals. So it's a winnable game, but I just question how much you put into it this mm. season. When they're with the best win in the world, if they get through the group stages, they're unlikely to get much further than the last sixteen. Okay, who's yeah. going to go further in the Champions League this season then to finish? Chelsea or Liverpool? Liverpool. Yeah, Liverpool. Okay, Liverpool in their group. Red Bull, Salzburg and Genk are the other games. Napoli versus Liverpool is the game. Obviously, Reds fans will be looking at. Chelsea take on Valencia at Stamford Bridge. Ajax versus Lille is the other game in that group, Group H. I think the worst thing that can happen to Chelsea is they finish third in that group. Because the best thing oh. the best thing yeah. they could do is they either go through or they go out. Yeah, the last thing they want to do mm. is have a poor season and then like 
beat Lille on the last day and get four points to Lille's three and have to go into the bloody Europa League and go to Kazakhstan or whatever. But then they get hammered at that's the presuming bottom the, of the group. Yeah, I know. But you're but right. That's presuming Astana beat it's Manchester United and then they will have to travel <laughs> to Kazakhstan. Yeah. I'm sure we'll be talking about that's the Europa League over, yeah. uh, over the course of this week. Anyway, this has been Football Social Daily. Thank you very much, Marley. Thank, Thank you. you very much, Jim. Tar. I've been Nile McCorn. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you never miss another podcast. Seven days a week. Also, we have Premier League preview shows on a Saturday and a review show on a Sunday for you to listen to as well and if you've got an Amazon Alexa device just ask it to open Sports Social and tell it what team you support if it's any one of the 20 Premier League clubs you can get a daily news update as well as Premier League match reports and match previews too anyway we'll speak to you tomorrow Football Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode it is Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every Every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over a hundred social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S. excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.